Businesses of all sizes have been affected by COVID-19. In response to this, Post Media Solutions has created a five-step guide aimed to help you adapt to your business during this global crisis. To get this free guide, visit postmediasolutions.com forward slash adapt. As healthcare in Canada is a provincial responsibility, much of the focus in the fight against COVID-19 has been on the premiers and their health officials. And as he heads Canada's largest province, a lot of focus has been squarely on the performance of Ontario Premier Doug Ford. To the surprise of many, he's handling things quite well. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with the Toronto Sun's Brian Lilly about how Ford has managed the public response to the pandemic and how the crisis has forced cooperation across provincial and political lines. Plus, we'll get you up to date on the latest COVID-19 news. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on all your favorite listening platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, where wherever you find your favorite shows, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Brian, one of the things that that we've heard a lot about through this whole COVID-19 pandemic is that health authorities, hospitals, provinces, the federal government, the supply they have of personal protective equipment for healthcare workers, specifically masks. The hospitals that are dealing with this crisis, they use a specific kind of mask to block out really small droplets that could be carrying the virus. Uh, They're called N95 masks, and they've been in short supply. And Monday, things came to a head when Ontario Premier Doug Ford basically said that supplies are low and we just had a bunch that were stopped at the border. What can you tell me about that? You know, there's so many layers to the story, you know, about how provinces weren't prepared, local health authorities weren't prepared, the federal government wasn't prepared, the masks that we sent to China, which, by the way, was only 1,100 masks. There were 16 tons of gear sent to China, but only 1,100 masks, less than a day's supply at any major hospital. And people are frustrated because we thought we'd been through this with SARS. We thought we'd been through this with H1N1. Mm-hmm. And here we are scrambling just weeks in to, to find supplies. And so 3M is supposed to be supplying countries around the world. Last week, the whole of Canada has in about a three to four million mask order, both through 3M directly and through brokers. And last week, U.S. President Donald Trump invoked the Defense Production Act against 3M. That stopped about 500,000 masks that were supposed to be coming to Canada from arriving. They were just blocked at the border. There was a lot of back and forth and in really teamwork between Doug Ford, who has developed a strong relationship with U.S. Trade Ambassador Robert Lighthizer and others in the administration, used to be very tight with uh, the American ambassador to Canada, Kelly Kraft. Mm -hmm. So Ontario's Premier Doug Ford was out there lobbying. He was calling out Donald Trump by name and saying, I'm disappointed, and wow, you really learn who your friends are. But he was also working in concert with Christia Freeland, the deputy prime minister, uh, who also has strong relationship with these people. And between the two of them, and I would say a lot of work by officials whose names we will never know, they were able to get that cleared and allow those 500,000 masks. And then later in the day, it was late Monday, U.S. President Donald Trump said, uh, okay, we can allow shipments to Canada. Now, I know there are a lot of Trump lovers out there 
who think this never happened, that he never blocked, that it was about stopping profiteering, all kinds of different things. No, the American administration said you cannot send masks to Canada. And it took a serious lobbying effort to get that undone, including pointing out the fact that some of the raw product that went into making those masks came from Canada. Hmm. Uh, a lot of healthcare supplies come from Canada to the United States. This was not a good move for America to make. Yeah, this was, I think, something that caught a lot of Canadians off guard, and I imagine some people in the the states as well. I, I mean, it it really kind of laid bare an issue that Canada has right now when it comes to medical supplies, and you've touched on this. Over the weekend and last week, I know that the Trump administration had talked about their national stockpile, and people are debating whether it's right for Jared Kushner, uh, the president's son-in-law and an advisor on COVID-19, to talk about the stockpile in terms of it's their stockpile, it's the Fed's stockpile. Canada is supposed to have its own stockpile that's accessible to the provinces in just this situation. And you've kind of touched on the fact that despite having dealt with SARS 17 years ago, having dealt with H1N1 11 years ago, we're not exactly where we should be when it comes to stockpiling our masks, correct? Or any other material. There's, again, many layers on this and people get stories confused and there's a lot of misinformation on social media. Ontario specifically after SARS went out and put in, I think it was 13 million masks in storage. But it wasn't a strategic stockpile, and it wasn't managed as such. And so those masks just went in a storage container somewhere, mm -hmm. and they expired. And yeah, these N95 masks do have an expiry date. They get dry rot. It, that happened to part of the American stockpile. But after SARS, the Public Health Agency of Canada in 2004, under the Martin government, was given the task, okay, we've created you, Public Health Agency of Canada, a subset of Health Canada, but very much operating on its own. Here's your one of your core mandates is to build and manage a national emergency strategic stockpile, which in some form or another has been around since 1952. Back then it was to deal with the Cold War and those incoming Russian nuclear warheads. Mm -hmm. In 2004, they said, you need to make sure that we have enough personal protective equipment, gloves, gowns, N95 masks, surgical masks, face shields, all of these things were supposed to be in stock and ready to go if the provinces need them. There's one major central warehouse in the national capital region, either in Ottawa or Gatineau, we don't know the location, and then 10 different ones spread out across the provinces so that it's quick and easy to access. We ran out within weeks of COVID-19 becoming a real issue in Canada. We ran out when we were at around 2,000 cases. To put that in perspective, during H1N1, yeah, swine flu, very different than COVID-19, but the requirements of what healthcare workers are supposed to do is very much the same. Mm -hmm. Supposed to wear goggles or face shield, a mask, an N95 mask, a gown, gloves. We never ran out during H1N1. So that was over months and months. That was over 40,000 cases. 8,000 and change were hospitalized. I think 1,400 went to ICU. 428 people died. We never ran out, and the provinces did draw down on that. By comparison, the provinces have been, Ontario specifically, has been able to access less than what we did send to China, which again was not the whole stockpile, should not have even put a dent in our stockpile, and yet somehow 
here we are, weeks in. We're now uh, probably approaching 20,000 cases as we speak. But when we were at 2,000, the feds had run out and the provinces had run out. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of blame to go around. Alberta, by the way, you're, you're in Alberta. You guys are doing better than most. Quebec was begging for masks a week or so ago from Ontario. Premier Ford and Premier Legault have a good relationship. He said, here's my supplier that just you know helped us in a pinch. Maybe he can help you. And they did. Now we're having to look for homemade suppliers to fill the gap that the national emergency strategic stockpile should have been there for. You talk about like there's a lot of blame to go around when it comes to the national strategic stockpile. I think once we get through this crisis, there will be a lot of, you know, looking at who said what when and not just on masks, but on uh, policy around whether we should have closed the borders sooner, whether we should have canceled international flights sooner, the advice for Canadians around masks. There'll be a lot of discussion around that. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of all this, there's been a lot of interesting cooperation, especially looking at Ontario Premier Doug Ford. I think when this broke, there were, I'm sure, a lot of Canadians who thought that of all the provinces where politicians may fall short, I think a lot of people may have looked at Doug Ford and said, you know, Ontario is not going to come through this very well because look who they have as leader. But taking a look at the politics of all this and who has shown strong leadership, Doug Ford has kind of risen above in a lot of ways to be a leading light for a lot of people in all this. What do you make of that? I would say Doug Ford, Francois Legault in Quebec, John Horgan in British Columbia are probably doing the best jobs of all the premiers. And I look, I, I, I give kudos to uh, politicians at all levels for stepping up. And, and you know I'm not a big fan of Justin Trudeau mm-hmm. and, and his government. But you know there are certain problems like the stockpile, like borders. But on other issues, they're doing the best they can. They're doing a very good job. Uh, but you know it's not a surprise to me because I've known Doug Ford a long time. I knew him outside of politics. And he is the right man at the right time. Would he be doing as good a job if you were on the federal level and you've got people saying, well, he's doing so well, he should just become conservative leader and you should be running the country. As premier, his job right now, a big part of his job is to make sure that Ontario hospitals and medical clinics have the supplies they need. This guy spent decades running supply chains for his family company. Mm-hmm. They run a, a, you know, it's called Deco Label. It, those um, stickers that go on the front of the chicken that uh, you buy at the grocery store that they used to scan. It's a good chance his company made some of that. (laughs) They run supply chains. They know how to source material. And he's kind of in his wheelhouse at the moment. He's stepped up in a a serious way, and he's also just being authentic. I'm not going into Queen's Park. We have social distancing rules in place for post-media, as you know. But I live near Queen's Park. And funny enough, on a walk the other day, ran into the premier as he was coming in on a Saturday morning for a a full day of work. Mm -hmm. I'm out for a walk. He's pulling in. I stopped and talked to him, and and he said that uh, he's working leads all day. He said, Brian, I was on on the phone until midnight last night. So on on a Friday night, he's on the phone till midnight connecting suppliers. If he he gets a lead on someone, he's either sending his people onto it or he's passing it on to Freeland. And, you know, talk about that uh, relationship between the feds and the province. Those two. Christy Freeland and Doug Ford talk multiple times a day. They're texting constantly and they're helping each other out in, in a major way. And when Ontario was down in terms of supplies and there was an auto company here who said, we've got this N96 mask, 
we can produce it, but we need Health Canada's approval. Ford was on Freeland every day. He said, I, I don't care if I have to call her 10 times a day to get this approval. We'll get it done. Freeland moved the ball on on the federal end, and guess what? It's approved now, and they're they're starting production. Could be as many as 4 million masks a week, uh, which not only supplies Ontario completely, but can supply a good chunk of the rest of the country. Just a scant six months ago, Canada was in the midst of an election. It was very contentious. There was talk that if Trudeau had won another term, it was proof Canada was broken. You know, after the election, there was lots of talk about wanting to reach out to Western Canada, which soundly rejected the Trudeau liberals. Everything in this country felt a little contentious and a little more contentious than it had been even six months before that. In the midst of this crisis, it feels like the country's forgotten about all of that. What is it about this that is able to pull people together from across political lines, across provincial lines, and make them get down to the hard work of dealing with a pandemic? I hadn't thought of that before, but offhand, I would say fear is a part of it. We're all scared of this virus. This is, uh, or most of us are, any of us that are sensible are fearful of this virus. Unlike H1N1, there aren't antivirals we can take. There isn't a shot that we can take. And we see the death rates in places that don't take it seriously, such as in Italy, such as in New York City, where you know they're taking it seriously now, but they may not have at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I think fear is part of it. It is a an issue of such magnitude that it dwarfs all others. You know, just before this, there was supposed to be a first minister's meeting in Ottawa. I'm just trying to get my timelines right. Uh, I think that was so that was early to mid March, mm-hmm. and it was on a Thursday that it was supposed to start with a dinner, and then it was going to be all day Friday. March 11th, the NBA announced that they were suspending games. So they were suspending the season. The NHL followed the next morning. That day, March 12th, was also the day that we found out that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau had been infected. Justin Trudeau was in self-isolation. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson were in self-isolation. And suddenly, March between the evening of March 11th and the afternoon of March 12th, the entire country sat up and said, holy crap, <laughs> this is real. Yeah. And that contentious... First minister's meeting, which was supposed to be about dealing with issues like Western alienation, but also the blockades, which remarkably have gone away. That was put aside. It was canceled quickly. All the premiers, you know, Premier Kenny was in Ottawa doing a day of lobbying. Premier Ford was in Ottawa doing a day of lobbying before the meeting. They hightailed it out of there and went home and said, we're dealing with this now. It has overtaken absolutely everything. And I'm not sure I've written about anything else other than COVID-19. Since that day, I've been writing about it. I was at the very first news conference announcing that we had a um, a case in Canada. It was uh, Saturday, January 25th. I know that because I was supposed to go to a Robbie Burns dinner. I'm all set to go out in my kilt in Highland Wear. <laughs> I had to go over to the legislature to hear about the first case. So I've been writing about it since it arrived here. But since that day, it is the only issue that politicians and many of us in the media have been dealing with. In Canada, especially among conservative thinkers, there's always a case made for smaller governments, less intrusion in our lives, 
when we're all done with this, we may be able to go back to those debates. But do you feel that Canada's doing at least better than some because of kind of the society that we've created for ourselves? Yeah, we're doing better than some, worse than others. And and I'm not sure those debates will really go away. You know, I keep hearing, oh, we're all socialists now uh, because the government is, is doing business bailouts and they're not getting people like you and I and others saying, oh, you can't be doing that. That's just uh, free market. Well, no, fundamentally, the government forces your business to shut down. They've got to do something. And this is this is unlike anything we've ever seen. So those debates will continue. And, you know, as, as I look across the country, I think that some of those debates about where things go, often it's a case of, does it go to the higher level of government, like the federal government or the province? And I can look at a place like Alberta and say, Alberta's doing very well right now. Mm-hmm. Alberta does all of their purchasing for their health system. And you guys have a month supply. Ontario and Quebec are relying on the federal government, which doesn't have experience in procuring a lot of these items the way that provincial uh, governments at, across the country do. You know, maybe we can look to those examples. There will be a lot of back and forth and a lot of looking at what worked and what didn't. And some centralized functions will have worked well. Others will not have. I think that one of the big things that we're going to have to reexamine at the end of this is how much decision-making power do we put in the hands of the chief medical officers? Mm -hmm. They are medical experts, but they are not politicians who know the ins and outs of, of what a public policy decision does. And I think in many cases, our medical experts, we're too slow to say we've got to do some things. I, I think that's going to be the big talking point at the end of all of this. You know, had we closed the borders earlier, had we shut down schools earlier, stopped people that had come into the country from, you know, forcing them into two weeks of self-isolation right away, we may have had a much different outcome than we've got now. Instead, we were told repeatedly, this is low risk, we don't have to worry about it. And now our society is almost fully shut down. Yeah, it is. uh, It's trying times, definitely. I know that everyone is uh, doing their best to continue on from home or keep their kids uh, on track with school and and try and get their work done. But I I suppose we'll see what happens on the other side of this. Uh, Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you, Dave. Now let's get you up to date. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Tuesday the government is working with Canadian companies to make ventilators to help treat COVID-19 patients. The PM said a total of 30,000 of the ventilators will be made in Canada. The companies include Thornhill Medical and CAE. As well, companies including Canada Goose and Stanfields are working with the feds to make things such as gloves and medical gowns. This follows a deal to ensure 3M will continue making N95 masks for the Canadian market. Now you're up to date. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Brian Lilly. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.